Father, we acknowledge, we sing. We don't just sing the songs verbally regarding these truths. We sing them from a heart that acknowledges your exaltation, your excellence, your unparalleled majesty and beauty, the, the splendor of holiness and the light in which you dwell um, is nothing short of amazing and incredible. And um, we thank you, Father, for the fact that such a wonderful God would come and dwell among us, die for us, and to bring us to you. And in response to that, Lord, we can just simply worship. We can simply proclaim who it is that you are and what it is that you do and all the, and seeing of the benefits that are afforded to us because of um, who you are by nature. And so I pray, God, that tonight you would help us again to have our hearts drawn to you, our affections drawn to you, to be placed upon you as we think about, we meditate upon what an incredible gift and privilege it is that you've given to us to be called children of God. We thank you, Father, for your word and the hope that springs out of it, the life that comes forth from it. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to, to apply it, to embrace it, so that we might truly live out this Christian life with full joy and fruitfulness. And we ask that you would help us to do that, Lord, for your glory and for our good. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. <clears throat> It's interesting that, you know, seeing songs like that, which really magnify the glory of God, and especially when we're going to be talking about um, our portion from Psalm 119 tonight, which I would title, it's the, the darkest night of Psalm 119. In verses 81 through 88, we've seen in other portions this this thread being woven through of hardship and affliction and persecution and trials that the psalmist goes through. But in all of them, if you were to look at the sections as a whole, the, the, the thread of affliction and hardship had been outweighed by the goodness of God and been outweighed by their hope in God and the salvation that God supplies to them. And this really is the darkest passage of all the sections in Psalm 119, verses 81 through 88, is the darkest section. Um, it is by far, the, the, the theme of affliction and hardship is by far outweighs the theme of hope and salvation, at least in this particular section. And so I think that that's it, you know, that's helpful for us because sometimes we feel like that if we, were to, if we were to place our hope and our joy on one side of the scale and we were to place our affliction and hardship and trials and sufferings on the other side of the scale, sometimes life is just out of balance. We feel like I'm, I'm, we're going through a lot of the hardship and the affliction and the trial and we're a little light on the hope and the joy and, and things like that. 
And the psalmist understands that, relates to that, sees that. That's why God pins it for us, so that it's something that we have a, a place where we can come when those are the seasons of our life. And it's my prayer that as we work through this, though, that we would see what the psalmist sees. And essentially, the point is this, as it has been in, in the entire psalm up to this point, which it will continue to be throughout, what are you going to do when life gets difficult? Where are you going to go? What do you turn to when things get hard? Who do you turn to? Where do you turn? Because it's not a matter of if affliction comes. It's not a matter of if things get hard. It's not a matter of if trials are going to come your way. It's simply a matter of when. It is necessary in order to enter the kingdom of God that we go through trials and persecution and suffering to some degree. And the question is always, what are you going to do when that comes? When temptation sets in, where do you turn? When, when, when doubt and fear and worry set in, who do you turn to? Where do you turn? Where do you go? When, you, when, you, when anger sets in, what do you turn to? Now, it, when, when life is going well, the answer is always, I turn to the Lord. He's so good to me. He's precious. He loves me so much. And yet, repeatedly, do you know... What, what I often see is that when the actual trial sets in, the Lord is not where we go. We turn to other people. We turn to alcohol. We turn to drugs. We turn to entertainment. We turn to movies. We turn to Facebook. We turn to Instagram, social media, other forms of self-pleasure. These are the things that we turn to so that we don't have to face what it is that we're going through because we know that if we turn to the Lord, though we know that's where the help resides, we know he's not going to allow us to go around. He's going to force us to go through the trial. He says, I'll be with you. And we go, that's not good enough. I don't even want to go. I'm just going to go this way and try and go around. And the Lord, in his mercy, allows us to spin our wheels and that eventually always goes, are you ready? Are you done? Can we go now? When you've exhausted all other opportunities, right, and possibilities. And the psalmist is clear and has been clear the whole time that when the darkest night sets in and when darkness sets in, he clings to the Lord. Specifically in God's Word. Where do we go? Where do we turn? Even if it means turning there moment by moment. You say, I can't even get through the day. Okay, just get through. Can you get through lunch? Just and turning to God's word for help. And that's what it is that we see in our passage tonight. Psalm 119, 81 through 88. I'll read it in its entirety and then we'll work our way through it a little bit here. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. Again, it begins like a lot of these sections do, with an emphasis on God and his word. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope, I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? Now here's the door. 
the door begins to open to where the psalmist is. For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. They have almost made an end of me on earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. In your steadfast love, give me life, that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. In the eight verses, five of them, 83 through 87, are the plea of the psalmist as they wrestle with the hardship that it is that they're going through, the persecution that they're facing. But he starts off in verse 81, where he usually starts off, where we should always start off. My soul longs for your salvation. You think about what it is that, what is it that you long for, that you desire to see, that you're anticipating I'm, look, I'm so looking forward to what? Fill in the blank. Where is salvation on that list of possibilities that can fill in the blank? What do you long for? What are you aching for? What do you desire? A psalmist says, my soul longs for your salvation. And thus, I hope in your word. Again, we see the connection between salvation and God's word. As we long for salvation, our hope is grounded and built upon the word of God. He's given us a word that he's intended for us to cling to and to read and to know, especially in difficult times, because those are the moments where we feel like sometimes we're just holding on by a thread. We're, we're just clinging to the promises of God. But we hope in his word as we long for his salvation because it's his word that speaks about salvation. It speaks of his plan of salvation. It speaks of his carrying out that plan of salvation. It speaks of the salvation that we have and the security that we have in Christ and our salvation now. It speaks of the salvation when it comes to fruition, when we go to be with Christ for all of eternity. It speaks of salvation in so many different ways because salvation is it's so rich and it's so deep and he's given us a book that speaks of it in, in those terms so that we would know it so that our hope would be built upon it. You think about having the idea of having your hope built upon something. Usually our hope is built upon things that we have a fair amount of knowledge and understanding about. And that's why he's given us a word in which he's explained his salvation to us in a myriad of different ways so that we would have no reason to be, we would have zero reason to be without hope. We should be of all people full of hope. Because we know that it cannot disappoint. It's firmly fixed in God's word. He has spoken. He has said it, and so I believe it. And in some ways, our salvation, our faith is as simple as that, because it should be like that of a child. My dad said so. So that's the way that it is. 
He knows best. And our Father knows better than anybody because He is the one that has set all things in motion. He has created everything. He knows in, in divine and infinite wisdom and power all things that are, all things that have ever been, all things that will ever be inside and out. We have zero reason to not hope and trust in Him. Now you take that home and you apply it to whatever season of life that you're going through right now. Do you have any reason to not hope and to not trust in Him? My eyes long for your promise. What's interesting in verse 81 says, my soul longs, right? The inner man. That's what longs, but my eyes too. The physical man, it incorporates all of me. Inwardly, outwardly, I long for the day when I get to see him. My eyes long for your promise. You think about the promise that God has made to us. There's going to be one wonderful, brilliant day when the clouds are rolled away and Christ himself descends and returns. And every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's going to be incredible. You can't even put words to how wonderful that day is going to be. And we're going to, do your eyes long to see that day? Do you want to see it with your eyes? Do you want to behold it? Do you want to see whatever, whatever it looks like to see Christ returning in, his full, in the fullness of his glory? Do you long to see whatever, whatever that is, however that looks? Do you want to see it? Do you long to see it? These are the things that we have to remember and keep in mind, especially in the darkest of nights. The psalmist says, I ask when will you comfort me? And this is the door being opened now to the dark night that the psalmist finds himself in. Why, do we say, why does he say these things? The first word in verse 83, for or because. My, my soul longs for your salvation. My eyes long for your promise. Why? Because, for, I have become like a wineskin in the smoke. A wineskin, when it's exposed to smoke, it shrivels, it dries, it cracks. It becomes useless. It can no longer hold liquid. And the psalmist feels like they're shriveled. They're dried up. They're cracked. They're useless. I mean, we encounter these things, these, these times in our lives. You know, physical illness has this ability to remind us of our frailty and our humanity, doesn't it? When you're young, vibrant, you feel like you could do anything, you run as fast, you run faster than the wind, you could, like Superman, you know, leap over buildings in one single bound and things like that. And then you get older and you're like, man, I don't even know if I could step over the threshold of the front door. And this is the way that you feel physically slower, dry, cracked, shriveled. 
The same thing can happen to us spiritually. Have you ever gone through a season of feeling where you're dried out? You're shriveled, you're cracked. I think of Jeremiah 17. Sometimes we feel dried out and gives a word picture of the man who trusts in man is like a shrub in the desert that can expect to yield no good fruit. There's no green out of it because he's living in sin. Sometimes we're like this because we are living in sin. We're dried up, we're shriveled, we're cracked because of we're, we're reaping what we've sown. Sometimes it's just part of God's providential plan. There's nothing, no sin that we're a part of. It's just a season of life in which he seeks, seems to suck all of the moisture out of our lives. But for whatever reason, the psalmist feels, for I have become like a wineskin in the smoke. But listen to what he says. Yet I have not forgotten your statutes. Even though that this is the experience of my life and the way that I'm feeling, I do not forget who you are. My circumstances in life do not determine God's character. God is who he is regardless of how I feel. He has spoken to us in his word so that we might know with assurance and clarity. Wayne's going to be talking about the clarity of scripture in Sunday school. God speaks to us with clarity so that we might know, so that our hope and our salvation is rooted firmly, not in how we feel, what we see, what we experience, or what's going on in the world around us, but upon the immovable, immutable truth of the Word of God. And the believer builds their life upon the truth communicated therein. I feel like a wineskin in the smoke, but I do not forget your statutes. I remind myself, especially in the hard times. Have you ever gone through a season where it feels like you have to talk to yourself over and over and over again, reminding yourself of the goodness of God? Why? Because you're afraid you're going to forget, because in the hard times, that's what's easy to do. You focus on what it is that is not and the way that you wish that things were and things like that, rather than reminding yourself of the unchangeable nature of our good and gracious God. But he goes on, how long must your servant endure? How long will this season last? When will you judge those who persecute me? When are you going to make right what is, this is wrong. When are you going to make it right? The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. And I find this second part of verse 85 incredibly fascinating, intriguing, something for me to continue to meditate upon. They do not live according to your law. They're not living according to the standard of God's law. You know, every unbeliever is held accountable to the law of God. Whether they believe in the law or not, the law is there. It's applied. They've, the covenant of works is in place. We have broken it. The, the, the command is to live perfectly and obediently to the Lord. And in the law of God, he has set forth how that is to be and what that looks like. 
And the unbeliever, the world, doesn't even acknowledge that the law exists. But in God's economy, it is. It does. And they break it. They don't live according to it. And they will be judged according to that. All your commandments are sure. It's like this little beacon of hope, a reminder even in the midst of hardship. All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. And I think here is like we're really where you see and you hear the heart of the psalmist. Help. You've ever been in a situation in life where that's really the best way you can communicate what it is that you're going through and how you feel. Help. I think about the disciples when they're in the boat with Jesus in the storm, and what's their question to him? Don't you care if we perish? We're going to die. We're in the middle of this storm in this boat. You're asleep. We're out here worrying that the boat is going to capsize, and their cry is, don't you care if we perish? And Jesus stands up, and he rebukes it, and the, the sea is calm. And I think sometimes that's the cry of our heart. Don't you care if I'm perished? Help me, like the psalmist cries out. They have almost made an end of me on the earth. If I came this close to being taken off the face of the planet, that's the situation that the psalmist finds himself in. They almost made an end of me on the earth. But then again in verse 87, but I have not forsaken your precepts. Even if keeping your precepts means that I'm taken off the face of the planet, I would rather be faithful and obedient to you and to your word than to do that which is shameful and fall into sin, crumble under hardship, adversity, or persecution. If it comes to living this life in sin or going to be with you for standing for the truth of your word, well, I'd rather go to be with you because for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I have not forsaken your precepts. In your steadfast love, give me life. Why? So that life can be good? In your steadfast love, give me life so that I can, have, so I can live on easy street, so that I can have all that I want, so I can be restored to prosperity, so that I don't have to endure physical harm or health or never have another interpersonal conflict with another individual my entire life? Why does he want to continue to live? Why, what's the, the basis for steadfast love, the steadfast love of the Lord giving the psalmist life? That I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. Give me another day so that I might live obediently to your word. That's incredible. You think about that? I want you to give me life, Lord. Inward life, physical life, right? Extend the quantity, the number of my days so that I can give me more days, more hours, more weeks, more months, more years. 
but then also give me inward life. Give me life that is full of hope and full of purpose and full of encouragement and desire to live life for the kingdom of God. Give me that type of life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. Life for me is defined as being given the opportunity to walk in obedience according to the testimonies of God's Word. That's real life. Is that how you would define life? Is that how I define life? The good life? Have you ever thought about that? What's your definition of the good life? I ask that question all the time in counseling because it's it's a great insight into what the people value most. What's your definition of the good life? Oh, if only this problem would go away. It's generally what you hear. According to the psalmist, the good life is being able to live obediently to God, according to his word. My prayer is that we would learn to embrace that, learn to cultivate that, learn to apply that, learn to live that way out. For the glory of God and for our own good and enjoyment as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, again, another opportunity tonight to look at your word. We can't, there's nowhere we can go where we can escape the centrality of your word. And in, in talking about your word, we cannot talk about your word without talking about the word of God, your son, our Lord Jesus. Life is composed of living obediently to him, living in joyful fellowship with him. And I pray, God, that even in the darkest of nights, we would remember that the promise is true that he spoke to his disciples as he speaks to us. And lo, I am with you till the end of the age. You are with us. Your spirit, the Holy Spirit, he dwells with us and he confirms and affirms your love for us helps us in our weakness, convicts us when we need conviction, that we might live a life obedient to you and thus live a life that is really full of happiness, purpose, joy, full of faith, full of hope. Help us, Lord, to live this way for you, for your glory, and for the good and the building up and the strengthening of your bride, the church. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.